Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph Toy Basham, MD. Co-host Catherine Brandt. And Andy Brandt-Bernard. The movie's called The Last Full Measure, now streaming. Available on DVD and Blu-ray April 21st, which was... Today. 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 Which or is, is today. today. Not was today, but is today. That's a heroic military true story starring Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer's in it, William Hurt, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, tons of... Oh, the late Peter Fonda. Yeah. Todd Robinson, our special guest, up next with the family. Tom here for my friends at Walzer Automotive Group with some exciting news. Walzer's rolling out Walzer Care on new and most used cars they sell in Minnesota. Well, Walzer Care is a powertrain warranty with coverage for 10 years or 150,000 miles. Powertrain coverage is like major medical coverage for your car. Engines, transmissions, all the really expensive stuff is covered. In addition, Walzer Care includes 24-hour roadside assistance. Lock your keys in your car, run out of gas, have a flat tire. Guess what? Walzer has your back. The best thing about Walzer Care, it's free with purchase. That's right, I said free. So, if you're shopping for a new or used Subaru, Honda, Nissan, Mazda, Toyota, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, Hyundai, or Chevrolet, see my friends at Walzer and get Walzer Care for free. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. So what's the latest? The well, latest is we're representing people who are injured through no fault of their own. Uh, people come to us, we talk to them about what their rights are. We talk to them about things that, you know, adjusters would call them up and ask them about. And we represent people in order to get them justice for the injured. And have been for a long time. Very, very successful. No question. I, I, you know, I do meet a lot of your clients. They come up to me on the street and whatever, and they talk about this, that, or the other thing. And they both say... Why do you guys hang out with Doug Sprinthal? <laughs> and I just had no answer. For <laughs> he just looks away, you big baby. In any case, that's the whole deal. So people, they got any problem whatsoever, personal injury or other legal problems, whatever, they just reach out to Brad, Sean, Bryant. Yeah, Joe and I have both been president of the trial lawyers for the state. So we talk to people about all sorts of issues. The consultation is always free, and that's what we do. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean, Bryant. Andy's rocking out today. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. Ladies and gentlemen, The Last Full Measure now streaming. Uh, as a matter of fact, available on DVD and Blu-ray today. A heroic military true story starring Sebastian Stan, Christopher Plummer, William Hurt, Samuel L. Jackson, Ed Harris, the late Peter Fonda. Couldn't get any big names in it, Todd? What's the problem? <laughs> well, you know, aim low, hope for high. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> aim low and hope for high. You know, I, I had forgotten until I read that that Peter Fonda died. He was way too young to be dying. Yeah, it was uh, really sad. Uh, fortunately, he got to see the film before he passed. Um, but it was a shock to everyone. No, no one knew he was ill. So uh, it was really quite a blow. No 79. Doubt. He's only 79? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. Well, that is really, really uh, the one sad thing the uh, other Part of it, of course, a powerful story inspired by the courageous acts of Vietnam War hero William H. Pitsenbarger. The Last Full Measure tells the true story of Vietnam War hero William H. Pitsenbarger. Uh, Barger, excuse me. Uh, U.S. Air Force, oh my God, pararescueman medic. Saved over 60 people. Is that right, Todd? Man. Yeah, that's correct. The pararescue community are, are really amazing people. Um, they're technically military operators, and um, wherever there's a hot spot, you will always find uh, their community involved in, uh, you know, extracting the wounded. 
What a story this is. Now, you're looking back. The Vietnam War ended, what, in 74? 74. God, it was 74. See, I thought it was like 72, but looking back, I would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, I would have been the very last uh, draft class of the Vietnam War. But by the time it rolled around, uh, and I was number 27 in the lottery, so I think I probably, if they hadn't, the war hadn't uh, kind of started wrapping up, they, I probably would have ended up in Vietnam. My oldest brother, Terry, he's nine years older than me. He served uh, two tours in Vietnam and doesn't have a lot of fond memories, no. I will tell you that. He didn't like it. Didn't care much. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I'm, I guess, just a little bit younger than you. Um, I missed it by a couple of years, I, but I recall, and part of the reason that I ended up making the movie was that I had I had heard the story um, sort of anecdotally um, by um, a, a bunch of the Air Force guys. I, I was actually doing some research on another picture, and these Air Force folks always wanted me to know the story of Pittsburgh, so I mm. had the opportunity to hear it quite a few times. But then I had the opportunity to meet Mr. Pitsenbarger as he addressed um, uh, a group of uh, a graduating class of, of PJs uh, out at uh, out in Albuquerque. And as I heard him speak about the loss of his own son, I flashed back to a memory that I never would have had about uh, sitting at my own dinner table and watching the the news, the nightly news. And at the end, they always flashed that scoreboard of the killed and wounded. Oh, yeah. And, right? And to look at that, you know, you would think it was that whole McNamara nonsense. You would think we were winning the war. And it never occurred to me that we weren't as a kid. And my dad looked up and made a comment about how if the war lasted any longer, we are going to move to Canada. And I had no idea what he was talking about. And he had voted for Nixon, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, in, in that moment, as I heard Mr. Pitsenbarger speak, I flashed to my son, who was only about 10 years old at the time, oh. and thought, all of a sudden, it gelled for me and came together. And I, I understood my dad better in that moment. As a parent myself, the thought of losing a child is just so unimaginable that I, I realized that this wasn't really a war story. It was a, a story about the home front and, and families and what that loss really means and what that sacrifice really means. So that's really sort of how it, it came together. Got very quickly, Todd, and I want to get out of your way, but I, I probably should pass this along. Uh, being the age that I am, uh, four of my friends were killed in Vietnam, and we went to visit the Vietnam War Memorial in Washington, D.C. It was not hard to find their names on the wall. That was something to see, but I do remember the very first one. I'll just give his name as Joe. I won't give his last name. But he was in the United States Marine Corps. He was on uh, the front lines. And we went to his funeral, and I don't know why they did this. I have no idea, Todd. But you look in the casket, and Joe was in the casket wearing his cover, but there was a bloody bandage around his head in the coffin. Why did they do that? I don't know. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, because corpses don't bleed, so there's no No. reason for the bandage to be bloody. Somebody must have wanted people to know that he he was shot in the head, I guess. Might have been a statement, yeah. Might have been a statement. It's real. I'm sorry that you lost that many people. Oh, it was was hideous. Well, you know, I will tell you one thing, Todd. I came from a very poor neighborhood, and a lot of very poor kids lost their lives in Vietnam. There's no doubt about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in the fourth grade, my, my fourth grade teacher brought her son in to speak to us who had just returned to Vietnam from Vietnam, and he was probably 
I don't know, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he had done, he'd been drafted and went and came back. And uh, I remember the first thing that one of the kids asked him was, how many people did you kill? Yeah. Uh. You know, oh, an innocent yeah. question, right? Mm-hmm. And he got that that 10,000 yard stare and yeah. within a year he took his own life oh, and we know that this is a, 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 a raging epidemic within our own military community now and um, one of the things that I do on the side is I work for a charity called Save a Warrior where we deal with um, uh, veterans with suicidal ideation and it's a, it's a real issue you know the, yes. the, a lot of people whose names are not on that Vietnam War Memorial died of, of uh, emotional wounds that mm-hmm. they brought back with them. So it's, uh, this movie is really a tribute to those people. Um, and just imagine a young person today you know, being torn out of their life to go fight a war that they didn't believe in or perhaps their parents didn't believe mm-hmm. in. Um, today, of course, we have a volunteer service, uh, and yet um, the casualties uh, are still great. Uh, but then uh, it was a it was a whole different thing. I mean, you, you didn't have a choice, and um, and so those people really did give up themselves and were uh, not not really treated with the respect they deserved when they came home. Oh, I don't think there's any question. I do remember my brother getting back in. He had he landed in San Francisco and then flew to Minneapolis, St. Paul from there, and I remember him talking about being spit upon as he walked through the airport. Uh, he and pretty much every other Marine and soldier and Navy man and Air Force uh, person, they, yeah, they, they would spit on them and jeer at them and call them fools and idiots while they were walking through the, uh, the air, air uh, terminal. Well, sadly, you know, a lot of that was motivated by fear and a lot of other things. Sure, and Unfortunately, sure. that generation of people who were their generation were conflating uh, the policy and the mission with the people who had to go, uh, who, who went and served willingly because they were asked to, but they weren't necessarily, necessarily supporting that policy. They were just exacting it. And, um, and I think a lot of people today um, would like to take moments like that back if they, if yeah. they were the ones yeah. who had done it because, um, you know, it, it, was, it was not fair. Todd, what, what do you think it is about people like William H. Pitsenbarger? Why... When he's offered a chance to get the hell out of there in the last helicopter, he said, no, I, I can't go. What makes a man like that? Well, that's a great question. Um, obviously, it's rooted in his family. But I, I think, you know, it's, as a storyteller, um, we look at this, this, uh, this thing that we, we call, or uh, Joseph Campbell uh, called the, the hero's journey. And it's, it's an analysis of mythology that examines and reexamines the hero moment. And I think there are these moments where some people uh, in, a, in conditions of, of high stress recognize on some deep level, perhaps an unconscious level, that we are all connected by something uh, very deep. And to leave that moment would be to abandon yourself. And so uh, in this moment, he recognized that the only way to his own personal salvation was service greater than self, and that there was just no way that by, by abandoning these people, he would have been abandoning uh, the, the, higher angel, the higher angels of himself. And we see this over and over again, and it is why that we, we tend to celebrate these kind of stories in popular culture, because we're trying to remind ourselves how we should behave 
uh, when, uh, you know, put in dire circumstances. And you need look no further than COVID-19 and the hoarding of toilet paper and food and to see the way a lot of people do react when they're faced with panic. And um, we really need to be reacting the other way. And this story really speaks to that. I don't think there's any question. How did you first find out? We're talking to Todd Robinson about the movie The Last Full Measure, uh, now streaming, available on DVD and Blu-ray, April 20th. And by the way, by coincidence, I also do a morning show in town here. We were just talking about the fact, speaking of DVDs, that there's one blockbuster left in America. It's in Utah. Actually, not Utah. It's in Oregon. And it's in Bend, Oregon. And she's doing curbside delivery of of films from Blockbuster. That's nice. That's very cool, I thought. Well, let's give her a call and get her to deliver this one. Yeah, Yeah. we will, absolutely. So the last full measure. So so I I just, the the story is so fantastic. How did you first connect with with William? Well, it it was, as I said, you know, I I was working on this other project and uh, but the, the, the deeper answer to the question, you know, this took me 20 years to get completed. Okay. Of course, I, I was having a career while it was happening, but it was a problematic film for a lot of reasons to get done. And But I met the men who were determined to get this, this young man the Medal of Honor, and they were all the veterans of that battle. And to see their um, their sort of emotional wounds and how they were finding a sense of purpose in honoring this this young man before his father passed away because Frank Pitsenbarger, by the time I came along, um, was suffering with uh, late-stage cancer. Oh. And so, and this was in 1999, and so these men were determined to get this uh, to happen before he passed, and they did. And, spoiler alert, but it, doesn't, it won't ruin the movie for you to know that Pitsenbarger did receive the Medal of Honor posthumously. And uh, meeting those men and becoming um, personally, uh, developing personal relationships with them, it, it made it impossible for my, myself and my partners to abandon the project. We, we just couldn't do it. And now we've lost some of them as well, uh, just to natural causes and old age. And so we were so grateful that not only did they get to see the movie, but they are all in the movie uh, in the big Medal of Honor ceremony. God, so uh, it was really quite emotional to not only see it, but to shoot it as well. Looking at the date, he must not have been very old when he died. What is he, his late 50s, early 60s, something like that? Uh, Mr. Pitsenbarger was, I think he was in his 80s. He, he was oh, actually, really? Yeah, he was a veteran of World War II. Oh, this story okay, took, okay. This story took place in 1966. Right, exactly. So uh, William Pitsenbarger was 21 years old uh, and the veteran of over 300 rescue missions at that point. Um so you, the, the timing sort of works it out. You know, we, we are playing, the, the movie actually takes place in 1999. God, it's, what a great idea. Did you, did you get any pushback from people saying, God, we just want to forget about Vietnam? Did you get any of that at all? You know, the, the pushback, I didn't get that per se, although, you know, some of the creative executives in town uh, at different points, said, and eh, nobody wants to see a Vietnam. Right. Movie. They, they right. thought Oliver Stone had had the final word. But this, of course, um, isn't critical of, of the war per se, although I do think it's an anti war statement because war is the last best, you know, conflict resolution as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. Um, but, 
I forget the question. <laughs> well, no, I mean, just... Uh, <laughs> I forget. No, I, there I go again. No, I, I just, I, you know, I, I because when when you bring up Vietnam, and again, I would have been the the last uh, group to go. When you bring up Vietnam, people just don't want to talk about it. It's still to this day. Certainly, people my age don't. Which is weird. well, you know that I, I yeah, I think that's true to a point. I mean, war is painful. Loss is painful. But I think um, when you look back, and it's part of the reason I was able to secure such a an amazing cast because all of the men in the movie certainly were of that age mm-hmm. and they all i mean nobody was left untouched everyone knew people who either lost their lives or went and returned changed and i think you know time heals and time with the benefit of reflection all of these actors wanted to be able to pay tribute to people that they knew personally and so um you know, I, we didn't really run into that per se. Some of the critics were a little bit, you know, grouchy about some things. Um, <laughs> grouchy. But, uh, you know, I think that, that something funny happened with, with people who maybe think a little bit more liberally um, where they watched this movie and they, they felt emotion, but they weren't quite sure if they agreed with the premise or felt, you know, they wanted to blame it on being emotionally manipulated as opposed to just realizing that, you know what, there's a high price to pay. And, and a lot of wars are, are, are poorly planned. You know, we're mm-hmm. a very, we tend to react to things rather than plan things. You know, war tends to be a reactive response. And uh, so you're, you're thinking on your feet, and there's a lot of bad policy that happens and a lot of mistakes. You know, they, they always say, you, you know, you, you, you plan the fight, try to fight the plan, and then everything changes, and then you mm-hmm. find out, you know, what you're really made of. And um, so I, you know, I, I think that that war will always be controversial, um, but the people uh, who fought it, um, you know, should be I think viewed through a slightly different prism mm-hmm. with the benefit of time. No doubt about. Well, I tell you what, Todd, you're talking to your audience right here because I cannot wait to see your movie. Because uh, personal experience, my brother got back from Vietnam when I was 15 years old, and it had quite an impact on me how much he had changed. So, I will be watching the last full measure. Uh, streaming now, ladies and gentlemen, of course, available on DVD and Blu-ray today, as a matter of fact. So you're, 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 to the, you're speaking to the choir here, Todd. I'll be watching it probably tonight. So I, I appreciate your time today. Uh, it was a big, it's been a big part of my life, even though I never actually did serve in Vietnam. Vietnam has been a big part of my life, my whole life, to tell you the truth. Well, is your brother still living? He is, yes. Yep. I, I recommend that you try to watch the film with him at some point because my real hope for the film is that it reignites uh, a conversation uh, for healing and for compassion. And uh, I've screened the movie for over 60 military audiences, and it is astonishing what happens when they see the film. I can uh, see that. And, and it, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to talk about this. There's a lot of shame-based, um, you know, and fear uh, involved in it, but the movie really opens the conversation, and it's, it's very uplifting at the end. So I think it would be something that he would appreciate seeing. I think that's right. Do you have one more minute? Because I like to close with my first experience with my brother when he got back from Vietnam. Do you have one more minute? Sure, of course. Okay, so Terry gets back from Vietnam. He's 24 years old now. He went in when he was 18, or 19, excuse me. Uh, he gets back home. He's 24. I'm, I'm 15 years old, and he and I are walking down Hennepin Avenue, which is right the main street in downtown Minneapolis. 
Uh, so we're walking along. This is, as a matter of fact, by coincidence, this would have been in 1966, 67. So pretty much the same area you're talking, right? Um, so he gets back. We're walking down the street, and uh, there's a young man coming the opposite direction, and he's wearing a military coat, but it doesn't say, like, U.S. Army or Marine Corps. Thing, but it was a military coat, right? A, a fatigue jacket, I guess is what you would call it. I don't know. But... The flag on his on his sleeve was upside down, the American flag was, and as the guy went by, he kind of scowled at my brother a little bit. I don't know why, but he did. And my brother said, "Could you do me a favor?" And he goes, "Yeah, what?" He goes, "Would you just take your jacket off when you walk past us?" And I, look, I, I don't want to cause any trouble, but I just can't watch it. I just can't because he literally, by the way, got on an airplane and 24 hours later he was in Minneapolis. He went from Vietnam to Minneapolis in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. which is quite the transition. But uh, I remember the guy, the guy said, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, Ser- but seriously, I just, I, just, I just got home, and I can't really see it. Could you just please take it off? Once you walk by, put it back on everything. Good. And the kid wouldn't do it. It didn't work out too well for him, I will tell you that, Todd. And I was <laughs> shocked to see what happened. Holy God, it was not pr- I mean, he didn't kill the guy or anything, thank God, but uh, he did take his jacket off, I will tell you that, Todd. Yeah, you know the the film is replete with stories like that. Uh, oh yeah, because it, because it focuses on the veterans. You know, looking back on Pitts and Barger's valor, um, but it, you know that happened to so many people and continues to happen to our veterans that that return for the current from the current conflicts because people just misunderstand what that experience is like. And um, I'm sorry that that happened. Me to too. Him. Uh, I'm sorry it happened to me because I was there watching it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it is. Mr. Robinson, thank you so much for your time today. It's terrific talking to you. Last full measure. I'll be watching it tonight. Thank you, sir. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Have a good All day. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Todd Robinson, the last full measure. Yeah, that uh, – I was amazed, as a matter of fact, how much – when my brother left for the Marine Corps, uh, he was an 18-year-old uh, – I think he joined at 18, maybe 19. Well, I think it was 18, though. He was this goofy, Wally Cleaver kind of guy. You know, hey, uh, hey, Mom, hey, how you doing? Mm. It was that kind of guy. So, you know, five years later, he comes home, and he is totally changed. And he never, he never was Wally Cleaver again, I will tell you that. He just, it was just the way it was. He, it cost him in a big way. It was very, very tough. But then, you know, Catherine and Andy and Alex were with me when we saw the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. Oh, that was tough. Oh, that was hard to look on. You see all these names of buddies. It was buddies, really tough. Your pals, you know, they've been taken taken out by the whole I couldn't situation. even look at it. I didn't blame you. I really, yeah. I couldn't. I just, I, I, just, I just, like, took one glance. I'm like, ah, that's <laughs> it for like, me. God. I have to go. My, my cousin came back from the Vietnam War, and uh, and he he's probably five, six years older than I. And he, and he says... Eh, Ralph, you know Vietnam. I'd stay away from there if I were you. <laughs> yeah, I'd stay. I'd stay away from there if you get a chance. Both my brothers were yeah. at that age group, and neither one of them went. That's good. Mm. Well, Daryl broke lucky. his leg, and they had a big yeah, pin right, in there, and for right. some reason that disqualified him. But and Jeff was in the Air Force, but he never went to Vietnam. Yeah, he. Yeah, they wanted him. He went into medical stuff at the hospital here <laughs> in the states. So. I like it. Thank you again to Todd Robinson. The last full measure. I'll be watching it tonight, as I said. We'll be right back with the family.
Tom Bernard with my buddy and CEO of North American Banking Company, Michael Bilski. Tell me, Michael, we've been talking about North American Banking Company for a few years now. One thing we've discussed is that the bank is locally owned and operated. Well, how does that benefit your customers? Tommy, projects and opportunities for expansion come up quickly for business owners. A locally owned and managed bank like North American Banking Company means decisions can be made just as quickly. We know Minnesota. We live in the communities we serve. So we have experience and firsthand knowledge for what's happening in your life where you live. That means decisions are made here. We don't ship them off or pass the buck someplace out of state. Finally, getting our customers quick answers allows them to take decisive action, and that's how business gets done. Man, Michael, you're getting good at this. Practice makes perfect. Uh, Perfect. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, an equal housing lender. 2020 never looks so good. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. With 2020 upon us, it's time to ditch the contacts and pitch the glasses. Take it from me. It's one of the best things you can do for yourself in the new year. I've never looked back from having LASIK myself, and with Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, you can trust you're amongst the best in the business. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. The great people at Whiting Clinic will take fantastic care of you, just like they did for me. Call 855-554-2020 or visit whitingclinic.com online to schedule your free LASIK consultation. Imagine 2020 or better in 2020. And let 2020 be your best year yet with LASIK at Whiting Clinic. LASIK results may vary. Talk to your Whiting Clinic doctor about your individual outcome potential. We're back in the set. What do you got, somebody marching? I think I'm just going to skip ahead. Sounds like the record's skipping. There we go. What is with this morose music today? It's the short change hero. The short change hero for you. Blah, 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 blah. It'll all work out in the end. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again to Todd. We went, uh, you know, it's about seven minutes long in that one, but it was well worth it. So this segment will be about seven minutes, and we have another guest coming up. Is it Pomporos? Is that how you say the I name? I think so. Pomporos? Uh, Kostaki on the phone. He'll tell us. Yeah, Kostaki. Where the <laughs> hell are you when we need you? Um, you know, actually, it wouldn't be a bad idea for seven minutes to just talk about, uh, you know, your, you thinking your brothers are probably going to end up going to Vietnam. They, they didn't end up going. Uh, my brother went, goes into Marine Corps, and uh, seriously, it was like Wally Cleaver. He comes back home. He's nothing like he used to be. Uh, he, he gets back, and I was just telling him off the air, literally in 24 hours, and they don't do that anymore from what I understand. They would not ever allow somebody to come from a combat zone directly to their house again in, in 24 hours. Apparently, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, they do some sort of debriefing, they call it, whatever that means. Yeah, they're trying to uh, truncate some of this uh, suicide stuff, but that ain't working. No, it's not, is it? Was 22 a day, somebody said? Is that what it is? I don't know. Too many. Really? I hope it's not. Andy, you know that number? Would you look up the number? How many many veterans kill themselves, commit suicide every day? It's a lot of people every day. I know that. Because that that didn't happen in World War II. No. And and some of the people— some of the reasons for that is that in World War II, everybody came back together as yeah, heroes. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Whereas now oh, these, these prolonged, true. you know, playing around wars where, they, where they're there forever, they come back, you know, willy-nilly or they come back in sort of strings and small amounts. And 
you know, they just are lost in the in the in the country because there's some right. people resent them as well. An average of twenty a day. Well, from 1979 to 2014. So I don't know what it is like. I think it went up to 22 a day now. Well, let's see. 2019. This report might have the number in it. It might. It's let's true. find. Remember yeah, in the go. movie AJ. Midway? No, it was which one was it? Where the guy sees his friend get killed and. No, it was 1917. He says, best not to dwell on it. Best not to dwell on it, yeah. Best not to it's dwell not on to it. Best not to dwell on it. Because he could see the kid trying to keep it together, and the surgeon says, best not to dwell on it. Yeah. Well, we're like, at 17 oh. a day right now. Oh, so we're at 17. Thank God. So it has gone down. Well, it's because some of them probably died of natural causes by now. Well, I mean, Vietnam was also 50 years ago, so. That's what but, I'm saying. But they, it was, it's the new veterans as well. It is, From Afghanistan yeah. and Iraq yeah, oh, and absolutely. things like that, those are. Yep. Those are continued ongoing just issues. Get out of there, don't we? Just get well, out of there. Yeah, I, 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 I'd like to see that, and I think that those governments, you let those cultures have their way, and you know, we're trying to impose something on them that it's not natural to them. I guess, but nothing they do is natural. Piss on them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you very much. Great to be here. No, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, just even talking to, to Todd about this brings back the memories and the feelings of all that stuff and how different it was and. Like, you know, and the saddest thing that the first one, the Marine Joe, when they folded up the flag and went to hand it to his dad, oh my God, I can still see it. It's like, oh, he came apart and fell over, and it was like, oh, Jesus, it was tough. That was a tough deal. His baby boy was dead, you know, for no damn reason. It was what he looked at. It. Yeah. yeah, it was too bad. It was an interesting period, and we were all terrified. It's like. Well, wait a minute. Those guys came back dead, and now we got to go? Like, ugh. That was a little terrifying back in those days. Yeah, but. That, that was a reason to study. Reason. Yes. Wait, I, I don't know. My family got really lucky. My mother had lots of um, brothers, and I think most of them were in the service, and they came back. Um, my brothers didn't have to go. Very lucky we didn't have any losses. I had a couple of cousins lost, mm-hmm. but it's, oh, it's weird with all the males that we had right. and that went right. that they came back, including my father. We can take a break here and come back. Have another great guest coming up. As a matter of fact, a former Secret Service agent and star of Bravo's Spy Games, Evie Pomporos. How about that? A little Secret Service action. Yeah. People yeah. getting their ass whooped. Now we're talking. We'll <laughs> Don't be right mess with back. her. We'll be right back with Evie right <laughs> Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Northern Metal Fab right off the interstate in Baldwin, Wisconsin is a custom job shop specializing in large-scale projects. Northern Metal Fab is now hiring for all positions, including welders, painters, and inspectors, to provide quality craftsmanship to their customers. Northern Metal Fab is growing, and their growth is your opportunity. Northern Metal Fab offers competitive pay, excellent benefits, and more. Apply online today at nmfinc.com. That's nmfinc.com. Northern Metal Fab is an equal opportunity employer. You got me running 
Squire to kick things off, Andy? Is that the route we're taking? Uh-huh. Okay, just let me know when Evie's ready to go. Um, hi, this is Andy. From Apparently, Evie's ready to go. This ought to be a very interesting interview. Yeah, Absolutely. I'll patch you through, and then we'll get right to you. Indeed. Mm-hmm. We're talking to a Secret Service agent, a former patch. Secret Service agent. We're good to go. Yep. Evie Pomporos, how you doing, Evie? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Marvelously well, thank you. Becoming bulletproof, protect yourself, real P, uh, read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. Former Secret Service agent in Star of Bravo's Spy Games. Evie Pampora shares lessons learned from protecting presidents, as well as insights and skills from the oldest and most elite security force in the world. I love talking to former social, uh, Secret Service agents. I like talking to any Secret Service agent. Don't you think, Evie? Do you talk to them often? Uh, no, you know, I've been, yeah, I've been on the, I also do a morning show I've been on for 35 years, so yeah, I've, several times, as a matter of fact. You are interesting awesome. people. Secret Service agents are very interesting people to me. Don't you think? I think so. I mean, I, I learned from them, so I really feel like they, they shaped me into who, who I've eventually become. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, how, how did the interest come, come about, your interest in becoming a Secret Service agent? You know, I think it was just a, an evolution. I, you know, I didn't grow up thinking, oh, when I grow up, this is what I want to do. I didn't even know what a secret certification did. <laughs> I knew the president had people around him, and that's really the extent of where that, that went. But growing up and studying, I in college I worked for a congresswoman, and that exposed me to government and public service. And I also grew up in New York City during the 80s and 90s, which were pretty, pretty rough at the time. And we had, you know, my family and I were always, like, victims of crimes and a lot of things that happened to us. So I think I eventually grew up in a way where I'm like, I am tired of this, of being a victim or at the mercy of other people. And so naturally I wanted to protect myself, my family, and eventually I joined the New York City Police Department. And that's kind of like where it all began. No, I could definitely see it. I'm glad you just said that because, um, I... Let me just read this part, and then I want to ask you a question. Becoming bulletproof uh, means transforming yourself into a stronger, more confident, more powerful person. Right now, Evie, I get the impression that, that people, not just young people, but a lot of people are enjoying playing the victim in America now. They, they love to go on social media and talk about how this guy was mean to him or that person was mean. I was a victim. They just love being a victim. I, Evie, I, the last thing I would do is ever allow anybody to think that they victimized me. Even if they did, I would never admit that I was a victim. Why do people enjoy that now? Do you understand that? Yeah, I do understand. It's interesting because when you use that word psychologically, it puts you at a disadvantage. Yeah. It, 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 puts a, it gives you it, just your psychology of it. So sure, yeah, like I was a victim of crime, but I mean, so I don't want to be mean. So what? I was. But where do you go from there? And you can have, there's two mindsets. You can either be a victim of something or you can be someone who overcomes whatever that thing is. So I've never thought of myself as a victim of anything in life, even though if you were laid out, I've had my end of bad circumstances happen as so many other people do. I think it's a choice. It's a choice that you make. And even today with what is happening, you know, we're gonna like we're going through like this historic event, obviously the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And in the end, you have a choice who you want to be when it's over. When you look, look back, do you want to be a person who was 
victimized, the recipient of things happening to you? Do you want to be at the mercy of everyone and everyone else? Or do you want to be that person to be like, well, there are some things I can't control. But you know what? I can control all these other things. And that gives you power. And then you become, you become the master of your own life. You are at the mercy of no one. And sometimes when we use that, I think it's also a social mindset. Like, I think we were in an era where we, we, we take on that title in, in possibly the wrong way. And it, it can take and hurt us. So we want to acknowledge when things, bad things happen. And we want to have justice to rectify those things. But you want to be careful not to fall into that victim mindset. Because you have no power, power in your life. Now you're just a recipient of things that happen who you? You can get stuck in that. I love it. Talking to Evie Pomporos, the uh, book is called Becoming Bulletproof, Protect Yourself, Read People, Influence Situation, and Live Fearlessly. Uh, and by the way, this is a person, this is a woman who might know it. Uh, I'm pretty sure she knows it because she's a former Secret Service agent to three presidents and one of only five women to receive the Medal of Valor. A little, little proud of that, I would imagine, Evie. You know, um, look, it, I, I was humbled to receive it. I did receive it as a result of my actions on 9-11, and it, it was, I wasn't insensible to having received it, but I, you know, I didn't hang it up in my home. I actually, my, my father took it and he hung it up in his face, and I actually put it under my bed when I received it. <laughs> I think, yeah, 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 I know. So for me, it was a little hard because having experienced 9-11 and seeing such a loss of life, mm -hmm. It kind of felt like you, I, you appreciate being honored and acknowledged, and at the same time, there's a part of you that's like, I'm getting an award when other people lost their lives. And so I ended up putting it away in my bed. My father found it one day. I went over the house. I was like, hey, is that my Valor Award? He's like, oh, yeah, it looks great, doesn't it? It's still there today, actually. It's in his basement. <laughs> but you know what's great about that? What you just talked about, you know, witnessing, seeing all the things that you saw, uh, you... Did that make you really push yourself? I mean, you've already been through all of this, receiving the Medal of Valor, uh, being a Secret Service agent, all the rest of it. But becoming bulletproof, did that have such an effect on you, seeing what you saw in 9-11 uh, and what you saw throughout your life? You couldn't accept being a victim. You wanted to be stronger, more confident, more powerful, obviously. And I'm assuming you achieved the person you want to be, right, Evie? You know, I think we're constantly evolving. Like, even now, I'm always mm -hmm. like, how can I be the best version of me? And, you know, I, there's a saying that I have. It's like, the day you feel like you're it, the day you feel like you know everything, you need to be careful. Because that is the day you become obsolete. But to this day, I'm still learning. To this day, I'm still evolving. Learning from other people, asking other people. Now I work in television, so it's a whole other universe career mm -hmm. that I have mm -hmm. to master. When I left the service, I went into journalism and, you know, I already had a, an advanced degree, a master's degree in forensic psychology, but I was like, well, I better learn. This is the new skill. And I took myself back to school and I got a master's in journalism because I needed to learn. And what, what I really learned being an agent, humility, which is super important because there's a difference like between confidence and humility. Excuse me, arrogance. So when you're arrogant, you think you know everything. When you're confident, you, you feel grounded as a human being. But you understand that you don't know everything. And when you have humility, 
so you can learn. You have no humility, you are rigid, you know everything, and you are you are dumb. And then you also learn to adapt and evolve. Like we're not I'm not the same person I was when I went into the service and I continually grow and change. And I'm aware of that. And I learn to adapt and change and to not get stuck into this one rigid rhythm. Because rigidity and rigid people are also dangerous. Rigid people can't adapt. They can't evolve. They can't mm-hmm. move. They get stuck. I feel like that's what we're seeing politically right now. Is yeah. Nobody can adapt or change and they're so stuck that nothing's happening good. It's, I think a lot of it is ego. And I mean it's in all... In all, on all areas, on all sides, it's like I, rather than working towards a collective mission, I think sometimes people's egos get caught in the way. And I don't mean this for a specific person. I mean this for all politicians. And it does come to a point where I go, I go online. You know, I get my news, I get briefed on what's happening, then I shut it down. Yes. I just like I want to know what I need to know, because the rest of it becomes noise and chatter. And you know what that does? It perpetuates more uncertainty because. Leaders lead, and we all look to them. And so when we see the back and forth, the negativity, the bitterness, especially now, like, this is the time where we all have to be united. We are all working to a collective thing, a collective goal to preserve human life. That's it. So that's what we're working on. And it, it's significant. You want people to work together. And so I, you, you say something that's absolutely true, and I think a lot of people feel that. I mean... We couldn't have picked a better time to have you on the show because right now with COVID-19 going on and the battles that you're witnessing watching the news between the Republicans and the Democrats and the this and the that, I think people are very afraid. So if we just lift the two words from the book, live fearlessly, is there, is there, what, what's the starting point? Is there one place you could start to begin to live fearlessly? Yeah, I think the number one thing is you need to know that there's no such thing as being fearless. If I put live fearlessly, there's no such thing as being fearless. Having fear is good. It is wonderful. Mm-hmm. It keeps you safe. It's what helps you. It's what keeps you, you know, makes you put your mask on before you leave the house, right? It makes you wash your hands, sanitize your hands, mm-hmm. take care of your loved one. Fear is beautiful in that regard. The fear is bad is when we let it overtake us, when we become frozen, when we can't move, we can't function because we are so bombarded by the negativity by the bad. And so, and also accepting your vulnerability. Like, I'm not, I'm going to take all the precautions I can and that gives me power and strength. But at the same time, I know it's possible I could get this or someone I love can get this. And there are people that, you know, people that I know that have this illness, that have been hospitalized. And this is, is it horrible and scary? Yes. But we have to endure it and figure out the ways that we can find meaning. And finding meaning is really important. When, and there's fine fine is when there's a tragic event, you want to find meaning because you need to find meaning so that you can wake up every morning and get out of bed. So, for example, a guy teamed up. I'm no longer a first responder. So it's definitely really hard for me because I'm so the person who wants to go out there and do something. But I also want to be wise about what I'm doing. So, you know, looking at our law enforcement, the first responders here in New York City, and they're, they're getting crushed. 20% of the NYPD is out sick. They've actually lost a lot of service members. I started in the NYPD, and I know it can be a very thankless job. So my mindset was like, what can I do to help? And so reaching out, I reached out to Dunkin' Donuts. And, I mean, who doesn't love that? Right? <laughs> so I was like, what can you guys do? Can we partner up? And then they were like, what are you thinking? I was like, I want to take donuts and coffee to every command 
in oh, New York City. God. And I partnered up with the New York City PBA. We've been going from man to man. To this day, we're almost at 7,000 gallons, 250 gallons of coffee. <laughs> you might be like, all right, so it's coffee. It's not. You're going in there and you think, thank you. We acknowledge you. People care. And it, it's going back to that being unity, everybody doing something. Chevy gave me a car because my car didn't fit all the Dunkin' and Donuts. I'll say, they make kombucha. <laughs> That's a probiotic to the body. They donate it. So we're all working collectively. And then you have leaders of these organizations, and kudos to them for acknowledging this, reaching out saying, hey, my hospital, you know, morale's really down. Can you guys stop by? We've been to hospitals. We even went to, God, we went to one of the uh, National Guard morgues. You know, and they're like, can you come by? Can you stop by? The troops you know, think can make them feel better. And so it, it's finding meaning in tragedy. And you can do that in your own way by checking my neighbors, shopping for an elderly person. All it is is like, who do you want to be when this is all over? Because it will be over. No, there's no question about it. Abby, great having you on today. Now, I... I one last question. You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but it'd be kind of cool. You worked for three different presidents. Who Did you have a favorite among the three, or did you like them all equally? I love them all equally. Good answer, Abby. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, though. Good, hey, good answer, Abby. Don't burn a bridge. <laughs> I know, I know. You know, it's funny, too, because um, chapter 20, 23 in the book, I wrote a story about each person I protected, and I actually reached out to them, you know, especially those where I shared something that happened maybe in a private setting. Like for the Obamas, I was like, hey, I want to share this. You're okay with this? And I wanted to make sure. But I shared a story about what I learned from each person. But there's elements to all people that are, are positive. And rather than get into, like, any type of back-and-forth negativity, I was like, what can I draw out from each person that I learned from? Because I learned from each one of them. And you know what? They are extraordinary. It takes an extraordinary human being to do that, to be in that position. It is not an easy position to be. I can see that to be true. Becoming bulletproof, protect yourself, read people, influence situations, and live fearlessly. Evie Pomporos, P-O-U-M-P-O-U-R-A-S. Evie, thank you so much for your service and for your time today. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Be yep. well and stay safe. You as well. Thank you. That's going to do it. Talk to you tomorrow with the family.